0: Shalom Aleichem, and welcome back, Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brat. It is nice to be with you once again for this special episode. We are just a couple of days now before Tisha B'Av, and you suggested that perhaps we speak about the B'yudah HaLevi, and we titled this episode, B'yudah HaLevi, Kinois, Kozri, and the Cairo Geniza. So, before we begin, I just want to thank, we had somebody who reached out, and is sponsoring this episode. It is being sponsored by the Baum family, Lechavayr Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brot Shlita. So thank you very much. Anybody who would like to sponsor future episodes, please reach out to myself at schwedm, S-C-H-W-E-D-M at O-U Once again, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions, reach out to myself or Eliezer Brot at eliezerbrat at gmail.com. So why don't we jump right in, give us a bit of a background what the connection of a Levi is to Tishabov right now and why you picked this topic to discuss.
1: Okay, fair question. So the reason is as follows. About fifteen years ago, one Tishabov, I decided to investigate a legend that I heard many times over the years, especially on Tishabov when right before um, the saying of the Kinnah, and Haloi Tishali. And that legend, I'll quote it in the way Art Scroll Kinnah, because that's what a lot of people use, but we'll use other kinases today so he won't be just art scroll, um, it says as follows. Um, An ancient manuscript states that B'udah composed this kino while journeying towards Eretz and recited it when he reached Damascus, facing the direction of Tien. Although many historians believe that B'udah Levi only got as far as Egypt, never even reaching Damascus, tradition has it that he finally reached Jerusalem, 1145. There he fell to the ground in a state of ecstasy, as he was embracing the dust near the Temple Mount, he was trampled and killed by an Arab horseman. This is how it's found in the well, and there's all the, now, this is a legend that I always heard, and I decided I want to trace the source for this legend and what we could find out about it. I was also fascinated by the Kuzri. Now, this topic seems to have drawn me into a rabbit hole, which I never came out of. I published some of my findings in Hebrew and in English, but I always find more, and I need to keep in mind,
0: Okay, so yeah, you keep that in mind, even though we'll keep coming back to you for more information on more topics. So, why don't you give the audience a brief biography of Abu Alevi, as you said, certainly not in today's episode, but who was Abu when was he born, where was he born, when did he die, and how did he die, but that certainly seems to be part of the legend. So, a brief biography. Okay, so just to
1: make it very brief, he's born in approximately 1075 in Spain. He dies in 1141, which we'll be discussing more about that. He's famous in history for being one of the greatest paitanim. He authored hundreds of beautiful piyutim, pesmayim, that became part of davening in certain places, in certain filus, and in, in yom and other times, more by svardim, but even by Ashkenazim and He's more famous, for, amongst many, for authoring one of the most important Jewish philosophical works. That is, the Kuzari. It was written in the dialogue form between a, a king and a Jew who's, persuading, who's persuaded to convert to Judaism. Of course, there's all types of questions. If the legend is true of that itself, if it happened, didn't it happen beyond the scope of today? Anyway, this Yid defends Yiddishkeit, dealing with many issues of philosophy and various mitzvahs, among other topics. It's, it's simply an incredible work. It has withstood the test of time and it's worth reading and learning properly very, very carefully Till today. It was written by Reb Yudah Levi in Arabic, but it was translated after he died in Hebrew into it. It was translated from Arabic into Hebrew in 1167, approximately by Reb Tibon, one of the famous translators of, of many philosophical sfarim. And it had tremendous impact on Mahshava throughout the generations. Now, just to mention Le the, the Mashal, there's a quote found in the Sefer taisis Ma'isar that the Grah said about it, that you shall learn it, because he was Kaddish Vitar, and Ikrei Emuna Yisrael Tloimba. Such a quote, powerful quote. Um, definitely Reb Avram ben Agra, his son, also was familiar, was very familiar with the Khuzri, and many, many G'daylim throughout the generations from Rishayim and onwards were familiar with the Kuzri and used it. As far as his Pizmainim Lamashal, we have a source from Menachem Delianzo, writes in his Sefer Derech Chaim, at the Minigastral in certain places, what's well, on Lail Shabbos, they would sing different pesimanim of his. The when refer, in a agdailum, when referring to Rabbi D'Alevi and discussing him, he says he was a powerful, a about him. And till today, he this endless literature about him, books about his svarim, perushim on his svarim I keep on coming out early manuscripts of works on the, the Khuzri has been published in recent years. Just to mention a recent edition of the Sefa Khuzri from Professor Michael Schwartz. It came out about five years ago. It's already in its fifth edition. Another edition came out to make it a little more f- user-friendly for the, the masses. But in short, the Khuzri has been, uh, f- people have been fascinated with the Khuzri and probably will continue to do so forever. Okay, now that's just the introduction.
0: Fine. It seems like we need to have a separate episode or episodes just on the Kuzri. Mir Sashem. There's time still ahead of us. Ezra Sashem. Okay, let's focus on what we want to talk about today. So you mentioned that in the art scroll there's a story, a legend, about a Behuda Halevi, about one of the kinas. So that kinness is the kina of Tianalitis Ali. Um maybe Now's the time you want to get into what that kina is and why we're having this conversation today, specifically about that kina and the story of the Halevi. Okay. So first,
1: like this, um, as, a, as a way of a little introduction, the kinnis is something we say every year in Tisha B'av, and it's very hard to understand. Regular, as a regular American Jews, we're not so familiar with the fancy Hebrew of the Kinnis. And it's always very, people have always find, found it very challenging to say it and understand what's going on. Um, and understanding these rich piyutim, pismayinim, whatever you want, kinis, whatever you want to call them. In, in many, in recent years, a lot of places have, uh, Rabbanim give up, give different, they say, they, 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 don't, they pick a few, and then they give the background behind the few that they are going to talk about. Now, Rav Salvechik, Rav Yosef Salavechik, it seems in the, I don't know when he started this minig, but he had a minig that he would give shiurim from early morning till late in the afternoon, where he would discuss the kinis be'iun gadol. Now these, it seems some years they were recorded um, and eventually they were put out by Rabbi Jacob Shech. Rabbi Jacob uh, we'll just get it right, because I don't want anyone to have complaints, Rabbi Jacob Jacob J. Shachter. This is called this is the first book. It's called The Lord is Righteous in All His Ways. Now, this is a transcript that he worked on very hard of the shiurim. It's a beautiful read. Very, very it could change one's Tushab. A little later, and this is printed by I think it's Tav and maybe and some other places. A little later, Koran issued based on those Shiram and other Nuschais of the Very shiurim, something Akinis Mesiris Arav. And there's a lot of overlaps. They use Rav Shachter's um, materials, but they also had other materials. And when one goes through this, you get a tremendous insight into the kinnis. And on this kinnis, and um, this is the by way of introduction, now there's, at the end of the kinnis, uh, there's, there's about ten kinnis that are called the the um,
0: they're referred to as the piyutim of Tzion. And this is the kinnis I think that you're referring to, right? That OU Press put out together with Corin, with yes, Rabbi yes, Weinreb. Yes, yes. He went through it and he did an excellent job. And Rabbi Weinreb has been making these presentations on Tisha B'Av for years and years and years. Um, actually, very fascinating. In fact, this year, he actually, I got to thank you because he called me and asked me every year he likes to speak about certain Gudelm that passed away. And this year, obviously, he has to talk about Rabbi Kaneyevsky. And he asked me if I could speak for a few minutes. Um, and draw upon some of the things that we discussed together. So thank you, and anyone who tunes in will see a short presentation regarding about Reb Chaim. Again, like we said, we're not here to be master of Reb Chaim, but the perspective of his svarim. So. So those, so these kinnas, it's
1: a, it's a credible, it's a very worthwhile buy if someone to go th- to go through on Tishbev even not during Tishbev now. Or Salivacic in the in the kinnah, uh, it's, it's called on the kinnah on kinnah number thirty six. So we begin saying about the zionah Tishali of Rabbi Levi, and w- some of the aspects we'll get back to throughout the, the presentation today. But he says like this. He says, this kina reflects the principle in Rabbi Yehudah Levi's important philosophical work, the Kuzari, that the land of Eretz Yisrael is unique not only in a metaphysical sense, but in a natural sense as well. The air is clear and charged with Ruch ha-kaidish. Nature is more beautiful and magnificent than, in Zion than anywhere else. The rain, the soil, the stones are all physically different in the land of Eretz Yisrael. When the Torah describes the land of Yisrael being a land of flowing with milk and honey, the intent is that there is a unique quality in the nature of the land itself. Then he goes on, And he says, Rabiudah Levi was in love with the land of Eretz Yisrael. While there are many pilgrims who traveled to Eretz Yisrael, none expressed their love for Israel as passionately as he did. For example, the Rambam, he mentions the land only once in Mernavuchim. The Rabbeinah Bechai, in his classic work, doesn't talk about Eretz Yisrael at all. Now, we know the Ramban was a Meridika lover of Zion, but Rabiudah Levi was perhaps the most Zionist, as Rabbi Salavajik says, of the Torah scholars of the Middle Ages. He says that Ramban described his love for Yisrael in halachic terms, which are familiar to us, but Rabbi Alevi expressed his passion somewhat differently. Basically, Rabbi Alevi lived in a comfortable existence in Muslim Spain where he is well connected with the government and was held in high regard. This is something we'll return to soon. Anyway, just to conclude, one last point about this kinnah, is what Salvechik says a fascinating insight. He said that these kinnahs, which are about 10, which is how we're messiah kinists. Is an important aspect of tishuba. There are two elements of the observance of tishuba. One, is, we say, the kinnis, and it's to remember, is to remember the destruction. But there's another aspect, which is to remember the magnificent prior to the destruction. Up to this point, when we said eicha and kinnis, it was focused on the first element, the destruction of Eretz Yisrael. But then it shifts, and we discuss about before the korban, and that's what these kinnis they discuss in glorious terms, the beauty and holiness of Jerusalem and the wisdom of her people. Now, this second element is necessary because in order to appreciate the magnitude of the Chorben and what was lost, we have to be familiar with the beauty of the Beis HaMikdash in, Jerush- in Jerusalem before the disaster occurred. Just to conclude, this is reflected in Halacha, says with Rav Yechim and Zakkai, when he talks about different aspects of, um, let's say, by Lulav, we take it seven days to Zeich HaMikdash. He's sh- this is to show us that there's, there's different aspects. Certain types of zikar and hamigdash, re- remembering of the temple, around simcha and not And this was his goal to expert in not zeichel ben zeichel Okay, al kopanim For this, for Rabbi Salvechik puts down and he goes through the kinnis, unbelievable, um, all types of lashonias, pages and pages. It's it's just even to read those few pages about it, and just to conclude with a lashon when he talks about it, he says, Rabbi he wrote poetry beautifully. He was a Jew who loved Judaism. Basically, and so this is, so these kinnis are very important, and Rabbi is the first, and then the next few are sort of copying Rabbi Uda Alevi's um, now the question is, Rabbi Yehuda Levi, why did he write this? Did he write a fetish above? How did it get him into the into the Seder Akinis that we have? It's unclear exactly when this happened, but we could say with certainty that already um, uh, Avram Frankel has an article, and other and other people have noticed that in Machzairim from let's say 1272 and the 1330s, even different Machzairim, and he lists out a bunch of them in Ashkenazic circles. They took this piyot. That we don't know why, when we're, we're gonna discuss when Rebu Levi might have said it, but it might not have been for Tishabav, even. And it got put into the Machser, and so much so that the Merami Ruthenberg is one of the next, um, is one of the next kinnas that we say on Tishabav He's copying Rebu Levi's kinah. He's also from Ish Ashkenaz. Less than 100 years later, he dies. So we see that it got
0: accepted pretty fast, and it's said as part of the kinets. Maybe before you go on. I know. I'm sure this is a sugya on its own. Maybe a drop of a background, basic. When the kiddush were put together, and where were they put together from? Is there? Can you give anything on that? It would be too far out of
1: the presentation today. But I do think on Svarim Chatter, um, Nachi had someone uh, talk about it, maybe last year or two years ago, um, to give some type of inter- uh, to give some type of background, basic background. But that's. Way, we're going to be going on too many tangents as it is, so to do that is way too tangent, too, way too many tangents, whereas I call it tangents and tangents into tangents. Okay, anyway, so Adkan, this is the first um, um, part, basically it becomes accepted, it's in the kina, and we say it, basically everyone says it. I think even people that make a very short, that cut out a lot of the kina's, they like to say this kina, and we'll, we'll be discussing some more aspects with it as we go on.
0: So you mentioned there's a legend, and you want to tell us why are you suggesting it's only a legend? I mean, I guess I could ask the question pretty bluntly. It's pretty clear in Art Scroll that's what happened. Um, I'm sure it's written in other places as well. So take us take us behind the scenes over here.
1: Okay, so as I said when I began the introduction, that I I got curious as I saw this legend. I wanted to see is it a re- is it real or is it a legend? Or as you know, some pessimistic people would say, "Oh, it's an art scroll legend," but of course, it's baloney. Anyway, so Rassalovich, returning back to the Shiram, at one point he, he he himself brings down these this story, and he says, um, "A story is told," and his Russian is, "I do not know if it's true." And then at the end, he says, "There's do- they say there's documentary documentary evidence that he died in Egypt on his way there to Israel." I do not know about it. But he, even he, in his shiurim, brought down this legend. So I, I'll call upon him. I decided I want to look into this legend. Now, asking around, it's it's definitely one of the most famous legends associated with Rida Levi. It's quoted in all different contexts, and I'm not going to mention all the different people that bring it down through the ages. Just to mention one that I came across in recent times, is so it was. It's such a fascinating um, 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 legend, and m- we might even end up seeing that there's truth to the legend. Actually, is that In in an advertisement for the Chumash that was about to be published in the 1770s from Moses Mendelssohn, so at the time he had a partner a very hush of a yid, kosher Jew, according to L'mahajan Mahajan, as Radova Kamenetzky has illustrated in a beautiful series of articles in Yeshurin, was the yid Rav Shleim Adubnav. eventually breaks off from Mendelssohn. That's not the parish of today's discussion, but they put out some samples of how the Parish is going to look to get subscribers, and in the back they had a few extra pages. So So Shleim put in a Parish on the piyut, and he brings down this legend, So and, and so you see that even though he's talking about Chumash, but he felt there's some type of attraction with this um, um, piot and with this story. Al-Khapanim, I'm not here to discuss all the sources for it, but what is the earliest source that we do know um, in print? So the source for this is is a famous sefer, which is known as the Sharsheles Kabbalah. Sharsheles HaKabala brings down this story, and it's first printed in approximately 1587. And he says that he has a Kabbalah from an old person, that when he comes to Yerushalayim, he did Kriya, and then he was doing, um, as I said, he was bowing down and everything, and in short, while he, he said a kinnah that he, which was but not that he then made up the kinnah, it, it sounds like he already had this, you know, and the Eretz Yisrael was always on his mind, we know, and then a, a Yishma'ili, an Arab comes, and because he saw his great Vakus, he tramples him to death, this is, and the, and now, it becomes so accepted in the major, um, from um, historical works of Greek, such as the Kariah the Seda Deiris, and Rabbi of Schwarz and Tuzar, and numerous, numerous other people, it's brought down as a given that this is the story. Okay. Now, in general, just to, uh, not to go into either, the Chasselus Hakabala already the Chida writes, and numerous and numerous numerous sources say we don't trust a lot of the material found in the Sefer. This it's, it's um, full of mistakes. There's even, I think, a Russian Let me see one second what the Russian is. Um, so much so, what there's some there's one Russian early Lushin, says Ain and shoot but. Um, the Chida does not use such a strong Russian but he uses a pretty strong Russian um, um also against the safer however some have people have said that even if you could say that there are problems with the safer so but you have to understand that a lot of times there still could be sources for some of the things that he said so not that everything is wrong maybe a lot of things are wrong but you still have to take in you have to you have to evaluate each thing the gufa shall okay but so so that's the first source. And as I said, it, got, it gets accepted through that. So, Mir Tzai Shem, today we're going to discuss tracing a little bit through different ways if we could see anything about the story. Now, who, so as I said, um, right, and this is many times people already said, the story can't be true. One such person was a great, tremendous person, Strashon, Mat- Mat- Strashon. Mat- Matisios Strashon, the great son of the Rashash. Already at the young age of 19, he's already married for a few years, and he's already incredible. And he's writing letters, and in the letter he has a three-page passage where he deals with this story of the Shavit Mehuda, the of the Shashal and it's incredible just to read his Yeda and everything under the sun and how he's doing it. We're talking about it, but we're not going to go into every aspect of it.
0: Where do you find this? these letters to read it?
1: So, so, if one wants to read it, there's a collection of some of his writings was printed by Meister of Cook called Mivchar So, in the Mivchar um printed by Meister of Cook in the 1960s, in page Reish Tes, um, it starts on page Reish Tesvav. It goes through Reish Yud Zayin. three solid pages, tiny letters, where he goes in depth with every aspect of the story. But the 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 the, the and even. This, he goes in tangents, he goes what I call tangents and tangents, he's one of the kings of this he actually writes about it in a place somewhere that that's how he liked to write even um, and maybe I was influenced by it on some level, but he's writing like that, I talk like that, but anyway um, and he did have, he had a tremendous impact on me, so I must I probably psychologically somehow got from there, but anyway, one Lushman that he says is, we know that at that time there were no Arabs, it was mostly Christians okay, but anyway, he, he he um, is not so into the story because in this piece also, in other places, he's not very a big fan of the Shashal sakabal A drop later, Shadal, who is very Isaac in Rebu who put out um, various manuscript material of his butim, also says the story, he, he writes more sharper. Again, similar reasons that there wasn't um, Arabs already in there. Anyway, there's a lot of discussion. I'm not going to bore you with all the details of all the different aspects of 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 how to how in depth they take apart this poor piece of this messiah that the Shashel Sakavala brings down. But I'll say is as follows: the when we when we want to check into a story, we like to find other evidence that might suggest similar sources or other people. Rabbi Alevi is a beyond famous person, so are there other earlier sources about Rabbi alevi that mention something about this when they talk about him? So we have Baruch Hashem, we do have sources that mention Rabbi D'Alevi, because Rabbi D'Alevi is very early on in the Tukfa Rishayim. We have, let's say, the Raivid Seder Kabbalah. We have the Mi'iri Seder Kabbalah. We have a Chiber Rabbi Yitzhuk Yisraeli Yisraeli Yisraeli. and a few and a, and a few a nice few other um, works. And none they all talk about Rabbi D'Alevi. None of them mention this this thing, which just sounds like it's something they would have. There are other sources that talk about Rabbi D'Alevi after he died from his Tukfa, people that knew him. They don't mention it. And just to mention one is there's a, there's a from the Rajbah. And the Rajma talks about Abu Dhabi. I don't remember how I came across it at the time, but he talks about him in Mayur, Mayur de Um And he, again, he has a few lines about him and he too does not mention anything about this story. I'm talking about people from Spain that would have heard about it, even though, yes, the Rajma is a, is a nice amount of time after him, but it's not mentioned anywhere. Okay. But that's not necessarily a way to disprove a story, just because we have a few people that don't mention it. Okay. So, so, um, but we'll return to this. We'll return to a little more evidence if he actually gets to Eretz in a minute. Just to step back for one second, in this in this messiah is when what part of the story is when is he writing this kina? So that already it sounds like from different sources he probably wrote it in Chutzlards, and that doesn't make it. That's not a problem. Even when he so he could he could have said it um, when he comes to Eretz something that he um, made up earlier. Okay, now. Another way, uh, in general, of checking out a story, we want to know is, Salveitch, who Marshall brought down, he's not even sure, he said he heard people say he might not even have made it to Eretz Yisrael. So is there any evidence that he makes it to Eretz Yisrael from other, forget about this story, this dramatic story, is there any other evidence? So the answer is that for such a thing we check, is we check, we have lists from where Gedolim are buried, all over Eretz Everyone knows when you make a trip to Eretz one of the big things is you go, it's very important to go caver, um, caver hopping, as they call it. And many people go with different tour guides, and, and people always wonder, how do they know who's buried in each caver? And actually, there's a story behind every one of these people. Now, A lot of times we have a Kabbalah, they say, from Darizal, that that Darizal said, this person's buried here. Okay, but we're talking about hundreds of years that there's no Messiah. Okay, anyway... There's lists, early lists, interesting, lists of Rishayim that visited Eretz Yisrael and they kept lists of, and, and they described in certain places, oh, he's buried here, he's buried here. So we want to know, are there anyone early on mentioning Rabbi Levi being buried in Eretz That would help our situation a little bit. So there is an early um, travels from a Binyamin, um, Binyamin of Toledo, which he is, it's printed 1170, which is pretty close to after the death of Rabuda Levi. And he does say that in Tveria, he um, he uh, hold on one second, let me just see the exact Russian. Some of In some of the manuscripts of this Chibur, it sounds like he was Mavakar, the caver of Rabbi Yudala Okay? What's significant is, we're talking about a Masayur, less than 30 years placing him in Eretz Yisrael. So at least we got some part of the story already is in Eretz Yisrael. But as I said, not all the manuscripts of this have it, and there are other early sources um, that some have him being buried. Okay, Th- there's all different sources about it. I'm not going to list out all the different sources, just one important source. The Sefer Yuxin who dies in 1515? He says that Reb Yehuda Levi is buried next to the Ben Ezra, their and their relatives, and they are buried in Eretz That's a fascinating thing. And so the question is: Did even the Ezra get to Eretz But for that, we'll get to maybe later on. But bottom line is, we have we have some Messiah, some sources that say Reb Yehuda Levi is buried in Eretz Okay, and and. Um, there's actually a, a gniza fragment found from the 1400s that also says such a thing, and there's a long list. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but the sh- point is, we co- we do have sources that point to him being Baron to Israel. So, so at least some part of the story might be true. So, okay, that that's um, I would say that's the first part of this um,
0: presentation. Okay, so now we're trying to figure out deep diving, whether the actual story happened. Um, in recent years, there's been a discovery of the Cairo Um I've heard about it. I've read about it. But I'm sure Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brutt has probably spent, he may call it a rabbit hole. Is the Cairo Gneza a rabbit hole? Someplace. <laughs> He's probably spent many, many, many hours, hours, days, months, who knows how long, studying the, different information that's been discovered there. So this may shed light on, on the topic we're discussing today.
1: Yes. So so interestingly enough, as I'm looking there, as I'm in this rabbit hole and I'm looking into this, to this topic, I come to the topic of the Chirognisa, a well-known topic. So now in short, when we talk about the Chirognisa, again, we're keeping in mind that we do want to finish today we don't we don't want to keep everyone um here forever but basically to in short in the the Kairugnisa, there are documents that are discovered which make a which are a um game changer for our story and now i want to give it just a drop of a background as it relates to this i personally just find it very interesting it could be some listeners will also find it interesting basically in the 1890s, there's a famous thing, Cairo uh, is discovered in an attic in the Benezer Ezra Shul. Okay, now, due to this incredible find, literally every area of Jewish literature and history has been greatly enriched. Just to list some of the many areas that were enhanced by this discovery, works of Gaonim that were lost were discovered, manuscripts relating to the Rambam were discovered, and much, much more. Piyutim, and areas of Jewish history of the Kufus that we didn't know much about also were improved because of these discoveries. Okay. Well, many people worked on it and are continuing to work on it as we speak. There's the Freeberg Project, all different things, e- e- e to discuss all aspects. Now, someone wants to get a, a uh regular layman's understanding of what went on, there's a, there's a bunch of books. Here's one book I would say that I personally enjoyed a lot. It's called Sacred Trash from Adina Hoffman and Peter Cole: The Lost and Found World of the Kiryagniza. A fascinating light read, but makes it very, very interesting. Okay. Anyway, so this is a discovery and this discovery racks the world. You should just to understand that there's people today, even in, as far as people panimizers, Hasidim that have been printing works of Gaonim that they're discovering from the Kiryagniza. Lost works of Rabb Sadigai have been coming out, and and we're going to be hearing about more and more. In, in the future still, in Kayvitz Space Aram v that's a Hasidish journal from the Hasidim of Stalin. They put out, uh, recently a bunch of pieces have been published from this Kaira Gnizah by Yehuda Zeval, the uh, a Bayana Chassid. So it's it's not only in the academic world, it's everywhere. Anyway, like long story short, they went through the Gniza fragments and f- crazy numbers of fragments have been discovered, and they processed it over a period of, let's say, 50, 60 years, and okay... A fellow named Shlomidov Goten in, in the 1950s, he decided to ask, I guess at one point he was near where the, the fragments were, he said, do you have any pieces that maybe were not used or maybe not looked at? So he said, yeah, we have a bunch of pieces that were, were which according to all the people that looked at it up till now, is was garbage. We have place, so we didn't throw it out. You're more than welcome to look at it. This fellow Goten goes and he starts looking at it and literally within minutes, he finds material of of the Rambam, he finds material of Rabbi Levi that letters that was lost that no, that was missed up till now by people that had gone through sorting the materials, and slowly he does incredible works on the Gniza. and he realized that through this material that he found in the 1950s, so it was kind of a rediscovery of the same Gniza fragments. What was deemed to be garbage, he hopped as beyond important. And he was able to create, the, to discuss for a few hundred years' worth of the world, of my, every aspect of life in this period of time. And, they, they, for example, he used to say at breakfast, his kids would hear from him. Um, he would say the stories that he discovered. He would find that there's a story from a piece of a fragment. And then he'd say, okay, but I don't know whatever happened. A few months later, he'd find another fragment. And he was able to put together different stories from all these different pieces of these materials that were deemed to be garbage. Anyway, I, I'm, I'm just um, cutting to the chase. One of the people that he found a lot of material related to in this, in these, in this material was of Rebidah Levi. So much so, he always dreamed of putting out a book. He published articles of some of this material, but he did never put out a book about it. Um, however, Moshe Gil. And Ezra Fleischer, two great professors who worked a lot in the Gainim and, and Gniza materials, especially, put out one such book based on 50 such documents relating specifically to Rabiudah Levi from, from this Gniza material. In the 19 in the 2000, um, approximately 10 years ago, Martha Kiva Freeman revisited those 50 documents that they put out, and he published approximately 100 documents relating to Rabiudah Levi. On some, on some level it relates to Rabbi Daliyev. We say not every letter is written by Rabbi Daliyev, but Rabbi Daliyev is an important figure in these letters also. So what happens is like this: they put out a fat volume, I would say six, seven hundred pages. And Then came of and they analyze. So first is like this: the documents are in Arabic. They transcribe the documents into Hebrew, and then they analyze and have Torah to explain what's what's going on in these documents. And it's fascinating what we're going to see in these documents comes on Mordecai Akiva Freeman, and he goes through, discovers more documents, and he puts it out just to understand two fat volumes of material, revisiting, reanalyzing with better Kalim, figuring out, and the is called Tag and Tag, literally of everything going on in these things, and this unbelievable parshas relating to Rebuda and more that one could learn from in these documents. Now, I'm obviously not going to bore um, today with all the fines and all the different things. Just to mention one thing that, that comes out is, why did Abu Dali even write the Kuzari? For us, the Kuzari is considered one of the most hush of the things that ever came out. Interestingly enough, he did not look at it as such a significant um, um, safer. And one of the letters, hold on, let me see if I can find the Russian right now. Um... Okay, I'm gonna have to quote it anyway. It's a translation because I I can't read no Arabic, but anyway, something to the effect that he a friend of his found out about this feebor of his. He said to him, "Why not you tell me about it?" And he's like, eh, "It's nothing." What was he? He say he, he was to this feebor that he wrote because we like okay whatever, and he says, "You'll you'll be I'll show it to you, no problem. You'll see that it's nothing special." Um, it was in response to a request by someone who was in, um because of some vira and everything, and of course, this letter is analyzed to death translation of every single word. One has to understand this is written in Arabic, so what these professors have been arguing about is deals with you have to have a major understanding in arabic of of the medieval period of time and what it means and every nuance okay, anyway, bottom line is from these documents we learn as follows. We learn about Rabbi dalvi that he was he was a major he was a he was a doctor he was a tremendous Talmud Chacham he was very close. He might have been a Talmud of the Rif. He was a close friend of none other than the Rimigash. Um, and and everyone was fascinated by this person. He comes to visit Mitzrayim, and everyone wants to have him at the house. And they talk about him as a Mayurdika Yurashamayim. It seems everyone chapt were talking about a tremendous, tremendous Hashem. Now he meets a friend. He becomes very friendly with his person um, just for, for practical purposes. His name is, um, hold on, just to give the exact names, Chalfoyn. We'll call him Chalfoyn. But anyway, this Chalfoyn is where a lot of these letters that they discovered is, within, is between this Chalfoyn fellow who's a businessman who travels all over. Um, anyway, I'll him. What, let, let's get cut to the chase. What, what do we learn from these documents that relates to our story? So what's amazing is that we, uh, let's say a person like Rabbi Galevi, we know nothing about his regular life until, okay, we, could, we they, they all these different historians, they try to analyze his piyutim and different things. But they, all of a sudden, from these Kairag documents, we learn about his last few years of his life, unbelievable in-depth things. And I'm just going to be Makatsar in short, basically like this. It seems in, in 1129, when he was about 54 years old, he decided to make a journey to Ritz he began his journey. He was supposed to travel through Egypt. In the end, he didn't. He ends up somehow in North Africa. He becomes good friends with the Ibn Ezra. And we'll return to that, Amir Tashem. For some unknown reason, he ends up back in Spain. Why, we don't know. And he decides to make this journey again, which is 10 years later, which is in 1140. And And these documents discuss a lot of the happenings of those few months before he made his journey. Different aspects, okay. But Kitzer, on September eighth, he had intended to leave from Egypt to Israel immediately. He was delayed. He ends up leaving a few days before Shavuos of eleven forty one. So he ends up, st- I would say, he ends up staying close to a year in before he ends up going. It could be there was issues with the with the with the with um, traveling. I, we don't know exactly everything, but in these letters and these books, one's more than welcome to read it. Um, now, a letter written about six months afterwards indicates that believe he was no longer alive. It seems that he was alive for a few months in Eretz and he died in either Av or or Tamas. Now, we don't; these letters don't. Um, sadly, these letters don't have what happens to Eretz Did he make it to Eretz or did he die right away? Okay, so why am I bringing it up? there's, there's a letter that they discovered, and this letter actually was discovered earlier, um, but it was dismissed that some of the scholars of, um, I believe it was Maisha Gill and Ezra Fleischer, they seem to say that from it said there's Alushan talking already about him of being dead, that he's dead. He was already, and it says on Alushan, Zechir um, Zayin Kuflam, Kaddish Levracha is how they interpret it. And a few lines later in these in this in this fragment it says Shari Yushalayim. So now let us understand, when we have these fragments, a lot of times they really are dot, dot, out, Not because they're fragments sometimes, and it could be very unclear words to read. So from the context of the sentences that they had, they suggested that it's possible, we see something going on, in this fragment, and we see it's being referred to something unusual, Kaddish. Why would it be called a Kaddish? It's not so common unless something happened that that, he's gonna, that he died al of Hashem. So they say, that it's very possible, at least, that some that maybe this um, legend, so to speak, of that the Shalshala Sakabbala brings down might be true. Now they can't say for sure, because this letter is fragmented. You can see pictures of it. I believe today you could probably see pictures of it online, but in the books, both of My Gil and of Martha Akiva Freeman, yeah. Martha Akiva Freeman, when he reads this very carefully, he says it does not say that. He's not willing to accept that that's what's going on in the letter. You have to read the letter very carefully, the context. But it's referring to him as a in Rabbi Yehuda HaLevi HaTzadik HaChassid, Zeche Kaddish So it could mean it's not that he was a um, Kaddish, that he died al-Kiddush Hashem. He was a Kaddish. And that's Kasey that we see has been referred to. So it's not necessarily that a Kaddish means um, that he died al-Kiddush Hashem. But the point is. That sometimes people are pessimistic about letters, uh, about legends, and here we see that there's a possibility from the discoveries of the Kairag from this letter, some of, some of even the academics, who a lot of times are more skeptical, they're willing to suggest there's a possibility that there might be muckum for this legend, um, um, but now we no longer could call it a legend, we have some, we have some possible proof. So first of all is that he gets to stroll. it sounds like from these letters that he got Teret Yisrael. So we now have evidence he got here. So besides the Yuxin and the different Macarius, if he's buried there and, or not, we now have some more concrete evidence that he's there. And there's a possibility in this in this fragmented piece, um, some people are willing to accept that he does make it to stroll, And maybe that there is a story behind, uh, there is some truth to this story. Okay. Anyway, I'm, I'm not going to go into all the shyness and all the, the Yukim of the different professors how, how to do it, but that's um, one aspect um, relating to this. Okay, now, um, but there's a, there's a let's um, step back a minute and uh, ask a greater question. Why does Rabiudah Levi go to Yisrael? Lamaisa, it's almost unheard of during that period of time for anyone to go to Yisrael. No one goes. Even a little later, the Rambam goes and he leaves pretty much right away. The Ramban is a little later and Ramban barely found the minion, but Rabiudah Levi, it seems to be so central to his um um being as a person so to speak why did he go so some people say it has to do with um um he wanted to daven at the Kvarim, which it sounds like even in the in this kinatzi na like Tishali talks about okay but he, it sounds very clear he was planning on living there so it's not just the daven at kvaram and and you have to understand it was a major sacrifice on his part he was a very successful person a very famous person um why was he going anyway so, different suggestions have been given. One suggestion was by Rabbi Huda Leib Gerst. He writes that um, since at this time Jews were very down, especially about Eretz Yisrael, he wanted to reawaken love for Eretz Yisrael, even though it was dangerous to go to time. And it's, he, seemed that many try, he says maybe many people probably try to convince him not to go. He still gave up everything, family, friends, and a comfortable lifestyle to go. And it, so even if the story of the Shashel Sakabala is not true, but he was Makadash Shem Shamayim by actually going, because he was one probably one of the first great people to actually go. Now, that's an interesting point. And um just to add on this, it it seems when one learns the kuzari. So I, I would like to suggest even more. It's not just that he was trying to do this and give chizuk, which is very important because he it's clear he was a, a big player in in Klal Yisrael at the time. Everyone knew about him. And this is interesting because they didn't know about the kuzari. We know about him as the kuzari, but they knew about him because of, of through other ways. Um, as I said, in, all over Mitzrayim, when he's there, they're, they're, everyone knows about that. This guy is this incredible python, whatever, this is before YouTube and, you know, he didn't have followers on Facebook or whatever else there is. Okay, anyway, so I, I I want to take this a drop further, and that is based on I'm fond of quoting from Reb Zevin, Reb Zevin has a safer, La In the safer, he has a piece where he turns the kuzari and he deals with him as a ishalacha. We know everyone knows the kuzari is a safer, a philosophical safer, so to speak. But there's a lot of halacha in the safer. If one reads it very carefully, you can find all different things. And the Rebzevin has shows how certain pieces of his became and I'm going to talk more about this momentarily. But as far as Eretz Yisrael goes, so Re- the Re- Yudah not only was he a person that was the Oye of Eretz Yisrael, and it to- chose in the Sefer Kuzuri, and in his Piyutim, it's ne- he held that one has to go to Eretz Yisrael. If one looks very carefully at his pe- at the pieces, it's in the end, I think it's Oye he- of Eretz he uses L'Shayness, that even though it's a Sakana, one has to go to Eretz Now, what's interesting is, in Rishayinim already, and one of the things for people not to go was because it was always considered a Sakana, and he says, no, if people were, for, for jobs, people do put themselves in Sakana, um, and other things. And he talks about this at length. And basically, Rabbi Dalivin, it's not that he only was a Oyavarity troll and he went. It's because he held the halacha one has to go. And he was putting his, as they say, the expression, put your money where your mouth is. He was acting upon it. He held one has to go. And that's why he went. He was giving up everything at the time. He was giving up a comfortable life. And as they said, he was a very famous, very successful person. And he went and there was nothing going on there. It's not like today you make aliyah and you know, you have different places. Okay, I live in Ramapi Chemish, so we have to throw out Ramapi Chemish. No, he was giving up everything. To, not, to there was nothing there but he was such a and he held that one has to go so i'm building off this observation that it's a, that not there was even that the kuzuri was also he he held to go now and that and it's so much so that this piece interestingly enough i recently came to this piece of the kuzuri the Chavis yarn is an incredible say from karhaim and arhaim he brings it down it's not clear what exactly he wants from it but he it seems like he's he's and using it that about dealing with if it's a sakana and travel etc. But the point is that it's Rabbi Huda with Eretz So this, the, 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 if we go back to, it comes out Rabbi Huda was an Ish Eretz He but he went Eretz Yisrael. He made Aliyah, so to speak, and um, because Stami held the Hashivas of Eretz which he deals with, and also because he held Allah Alachu on Now. I want to just to at this point just to discuss one Nukuda, just to elaborate very briefly, which I'm saying Reb Zevin says, you know, showing him as in the light of Ishalacha. So I came across a very interesting thing in the sugya of date lines. So first of all, the the kuzri is quoted by many different people, even the, even the Rama quotes him in chuvus and the sugya of the date lines, um, which is an incredibly complex sugya and racked the world different times, especially. Um, when the Mir Yeshiva was in Shanghai, it was a very famous topic, and well, different rabbinim got involved, but it was already discussed, different aspects were discussed earlier. So one of the famous people involved with the Shiloh was the Chazanish, and throughout the country, he wrote a country called Kuntris Yud Chesh and throughout the country, I believe he quotes the Kuzari something like 20 times. Now, and it's clear, it sounds like he's using the Kuzari as a, a loch source Interestingly enough, some of the people that discuss the sugi of the date lines, they don't. They hold not to bring a riot from the Kuzari because he's not an ishalacha. Now, happens to be when we learn, when you learn through the Sefer Kuzuri, you could see that this he was he was holding in the sugiyas. So he knew what's going on. Doesn't he mayas kama, so to speak? But he was, as they say, ganz fine. But we now know through the Kairgnesa, he's very close to the Remigash, etc., um, etc. Now. The Chazanish, what I like to point out is as follows. The Chazanish had to hold that he's an ishalacha l'shitasai. What in the world am I talking about? So there's an incredible conversation which needs a lot of arichos, which is that the Chazanish held that there's no such thing as someone being a balagada. That he knows he knows the agada. You mean say someone could be a mashkiach. He doesn't know how to learn well, but he gives good shmuzin and he, inspirational schmoozing, the Chazanish was very scared of such people. He held those people are dangerous. You have to be an Ish Halacha, and in order to and only could a Ish Halacha be an Ish Agada, but you can't be just a Ish Agada. And it's a very big um, conversation. It relates a lot of different things. It relates to the Chazanish's time on Musr, possibly on Hasidus. Um There's these pieces of the Chazanish that were edited out of the Amuna and not everyone accepts the um, um But this is the Khazanish's opinion. So the Chazanish Leshi if he's using the Kuzari, in the Dune of Datelines, is because he held, no, there's no such thing as a, someone wrote a classical work in philosophy, and he's a Hashem. no, no, he must be that he is a Ish and, and and now, so going with that, the Kuzari out to Ish he held, now it could be it's a, it's a, not everyone agrees with it, in the Sugius of Mitzvah, tishral and making Aliyah, but he held one has to go, even if it's Sakana, and this is what he talks about in his, in the, the Kuzari, talks about in the Sefer. So this is a Ha'ara of mine, you can take it or leave it. I have no problem with someone who argues it. Okay. So Ad Khan, this is the story. This is the legend. And as we're saying, that there's um, something be- that there's something behind the legend. Okay. Um, so we're basically saying that it's just because it's art scroll, it's not a problem, and there might be truth to the story.
0: It might be truth. Even though you didn't bring Raius to every single point of it, right? Every last detail. Right. But right. the overall concept. Okay. Right. So just I mean, off on a tangent that dropped, you know, we talk about Rishaynim. I'm sure this is a Suga on its own. Every person who lived in the generation of the Rishinim was a Rishan who relied rely on the Halakha. I'm sure that's also a topic of discussion.
1: Correct. It was, it's actually a very big discussion. And people, I believe, I, I heard such a thing that um, people, some people were upset I think let's say Girl put out this incredible book called the the, the and they have a book on the Khrainim, very excellent books. And people were upset because they listed tons of people. And he said some of these people they shouldn't be called we say, just because you live in a certain period of time doesn't mean you're a Ritva a Ramban. And and it happens to be there is a lot behind that story, and it relates to this Chazanish, as I said, and it's its own conversation. Are there people that were Bali Mikra, so to speak? They were excerpts of Chumash but they didn't know any halacha, and is it possible to rely on them in Chumash, so to speak? But it, you're 100% right, it's a huge topic. Um, uh, maybe one day someone will talk about it properly.
0: Okay, okay. that's somebody. we have to find that somebody. Okay, um, any other legends with the Buda Levy before you finish out?
1: Yeah, so I just, to, to conclude, the last few minutes of this of today's presentation is as follows. As it relate, it's Because it relates a little bit, and we'll be able to get back to with the Kyogeniza drop, um, as false. If you look, there's a, in, again, going back to Salvechik, where he has these shiurim that he gave on the kinnis. So one of the, one, um, he mentions something to the effect like this. Let me see if I can find it. Hmm. Oh, legend has it that Reb Ram Ibn Ezra was the son-in-law of Rebu Levi. he says like this when I was a little boy I was told that Rebu Levi was writing a poem appeared and did not have time to finish it so he left it on his table in the meantime he left the house and Rabbi Ram Ibn Ezra came home looked at it took a pencil out of his pocket added something to it when Yudha Levi came back and saw the edition, he became determined to find out who had written it. He finally concluded that Avram Ibn Ezra was the only person in the world who could have done it, so Avram Ibn Ezra married Yudha Levi. Okay. Salvation so brings down that in one place in his commentary in Chumash, the Ibn Ezra says, Yehuda Levi, may you rest in peace, asked me. So he obviously knew him very well. This is what. So the question is, is there any truth to this legend? And what's the source for this legend? So we're not going to go into a deep dive, as you called it, uh, correctly, into this legend. we just mention, once again, who's the earliest source? The Shashel Sakabalo, Okay, uh-oh, so we got to get worried. Of course, um, and like everything else, there's different versions of this story and different aspects of this story. And they say a similar story with Rashi. And okay, like everything else, Baruch Hashem... Is a safer written about the piot. The way the story goes, it was a specific piot, the Piyot Mika Meicha Adon Chasadecha that Svaradim have a meaning to say on Parsha Shabbat Of course, in the past few years, a book came out all about this piot and deals with this legend. It's called Mika Meicha from a fellow, let me see if I can find his name, the Yisrael Baramayish a nice small country. And he deals with this legend. He he basically discusses if it can be true, natural. Anyway, Fine, but bottom line is they were very close. This is clear, and he's quoted a bunch of times in his writings, in the Ben Ezra's writings. Something I think someone quotes maybe even twenty. This is discussed by ben Menachem, who was very Isaac in the Ezra. Okay, now does why is this nagaya? Is does the Ezra make a teretz yisrael? So I had mentioned earlier a one of the sources when discussing the different lists of the of who's buried where the the yuchsin brings down that they're that they're related and they're kvurim biyachad and there are other sources that say such a thing so it sounds like he made it terz or be um Re- ezra interestingly enough recently there was an article written by a professor uriel simon one of the world experts in liben and it was incorporated in one of his recent books on liben ezra um called the yukon And he has a whole chapter is why didn't why didn't he, Ibn Ezra go with Ibn Levi? And he has a whole discussion based on these Cairo documents and incredible in, in the Ibn Ezra's story um, and dealing with and he says it's better that he, if he would have gone we might not have been Zayichet to have what we got from the Ibn Ezra and he documents this in his article. But but it could be that at the end of the day, he, as I said is the Yochsin and there's other sources that he is buried in Eretz Yisrael. So even though he might not have been his son-in-law, but he definitely knew him; they seem to have a close relationship and this is docu- this is actually yes documented now, just to mention one last uh, two last conclusions about this and we'll and we'll finish we'll conclude so we already mentioned that in the in the Geniz- from the Gza fragments and other materials we know they met also so it's besides for the um it's besides for that they met, and they had a close relationship, as it's known, the as quotes them, as R. salvation says, one time, but it's much more. Okay, now, interestingly enough, again, in the early sources of Rishayim that we have, like the Raivid, say, the Kabbalah, the Miri say, the Kabbalah, when they talk about them, they don't ma- mention that there's any relationship between them. Starting later on, uh, maybe the Abarbanel uh, might be the, the earliest source, or Bazari and Adayim, others, they do start mentioning it, that there is a connection between them. Okay, now, the Shashal is the Kabbalah. His story gets accepted by certain Makairis, such as the, maybe the Saydar Dairis and others. Lamashal, um, the Chavis he, when he talks about the story, he says, cause of who? Okay, fine. Even though the Ibn Ezra brings down the the Levi a lot, but he says he doesn't ever refer to him as a um, that he's my father-in-law. Fine, so he says it doesn't sound like that. Maybe, maybe after, if you want to say the story is true, even though he says it's cousin of him, he said maybe later on he got married to a Yudalevi's daughter. Okay, now, like everything else, where is it a possibility that there could be some connection between Rabbi Yudalevi through marriage and uh, and the Ezra, so that's all. we'll conclude based on, there, there's an interesting character, and that is the son of the Ibn Ezra and this son, his name is Yitzchak now this Yitzchak was an interesting person seems to be, he was also a great python and it's clear from the documents that he was close also with Rabbi and it seems that there's a good muckahim to suggest that this person was a son-in-law by Rabbi so there really was a family connection but it, again, it's not 100% it's still ongoing, as they say. They're handling all the de- the details and working out the, in the analysis of the different documents relating to this. Now, this person was a Python. Sadly, there is a source that says, supposedly, at one point, this rabitzak went off the derach. Also um, questionable, um why, what, we don't know necessarily, but we do have some of his, um, miraculously, they did discover some of his piyutim, and we don't really know if he really did go, didn't he go off, but there is makam to say that he was actually a son-in-law of Rabiudah Alevi. Levi, so there is some, again, some type of truth, but not the truth of that, yes, as the way Rev uh, Salveitch was saying, over, which is sort of from the Shal Shal so it's basically is like this, there are legends with Rabiudah Levi, there are other legends, this legend got different legends Took upon did not they they sometimes switch the name it might not be, be the Levi there's Rashi others because these are the heroes of of our of our throughout the generations so that's why legends are attract uh, attached to them but sometimes one should not make fun of legends because sometimes at least some aspects of the legends are true and maybe all aspects are true Um and just like there was the Kairagniza discovery it could be there'll be more discoveries even in the Kairagniza maybe who knows that will shed further light on the story of this great Python. Uh, and so this is giving you some insight, but as I said, make sure to learn through, let's say, Rosh or others when you're saying these piyutim and thinking about Eretz Yisrael. Ad kam for today. We'll have Rachmanus.
0: Thank you so very, very much, Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brutt. I would like to once again thank the Baum family who sponsored this episode. Please reach out to us. There is much more that we would like to do. And Bar Hashem, Rabbi Dr. Eliezer Brutt is here and ready to prepare much more content to be shared on various platforms. So reach out to us, comments, questions, suggestions, and may this episode maybe inspire somebody to think a little bit more about the Khorban, think about Eretz Yisrael, and we should be zaychel to be together in Eretz Yisrael. Thank you very much.